Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Saturday, June the 4th, 2022. It is currently 12.03 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from Abilene, Texas. Now, I am going to do my very best here to try to answer some questions that I was asked in an email. Now, let me just say this right from the start. This is all being done, obviously, in somewhat of an impromptu way. This is not after hours and hours of study and research. I just grabbed a couple of things and said, I'm going to do my best to answer these questions now because it is Saturday afternoon. So here's what's going to happen. Obviously, in Saturday afternoon, I transition a lot into sermon prep, right? Tomorrow we have to work on Jude for Sunday school. We have Romans chapter 9 for the Sunday morning worship service. And then Sunday night, we're back to the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, working uh, on that for our Bible study exercise. So that's that's a lot of work to do getting ready for all of that tomorrow. In the meantime, we have a number of obviously issues we are working on here for the Theology Central podcast, right? We've been working on the Jesus Calling devotional. We've been working on the 30 Life Principles. We've been working on uh, Andy Wood, and I, he's going to become the pastor of Saddleback Church. We've got all, we've got the uh, the series that we're doing on the Imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis that we're way behind on. We've got so many different things that we are working on. Always more things to cover then I have time to cover. But I've made a promise, and I do my very best to try to keep this promise. If you email me, then all of the other things I have get immediately shoved to the side, and your email just jumps to the top of the stack, and I do my best to try to cover it. Now, I don't know how, I don't know if I'm going to be able to answer everything here in a way that's going to satisfy the original emailer. I don't know, but I'm going to do my very best. And in trying to answer the original emailer, hopefully this obviously helps a lot of other people who may have very similar questions or may come across similar issues while they're uh, on the internet, social media, or reading articles. And this person has raised, uh, raised some very important issues, and I'm going to do my very best to discuss them and try to answer them. It, it, and so I, I hope this is very beneficial. So let's start here. Let's start with the scripture that I think is very important, all right? And let, let me just say this right from the start. The fact that I said, let's start with scripture, that really is going to be, that. that's really a clue on what perspective I'm coming at this from. So let me just lay out kind of my philosophy, my perspective right from the start, Okay. I believe that as Christian, if Christian, if, if we're going to go with Christianity in any way, shape, or form, we need an authoritative, an authoritative revelation from God. Like if I'm going to go with Christianity, I need an authoritative revelation of God that's outside of me, right? That's not based on my feelings and my thoughts and what I think God is saying. It has to be outside of me. And we have to believe that it's authoritative. We have to believe it's true. And we have to believe it's correct. Because if I don't have that, right? If I don't have an authoritative, true and correct revelation from God, then, then I, basically I'm just making up my own religion and doing whatever I want, right? So I am a, I, I believe that, that that revelation that's outside of us is found in the Bible. It is the word of God. And that's what we turn to. I believe it is sufficient. I believe it is the only rule of faith. And because if I go with something else, then... Well, then, then then, everything becomes subjective. I believe I need an objective standard of truth, and it is the Word of God. So my job is to go to the Word of God, do my best to understand it, do my best to interpret it, and then, of course, try to live according to it. Now, of course, we know the Bible itself, is, I think, will demonstrate we can never live according to it the way we're supposed to, and that's why we have to be saved by an imputed righteousness, and we can get into to all of that. But uh, but I, I start with that perspective. And again, if I don't, then I would just throw out Christianity, right? The minute I uh, the minute I lose the Bible, then there's really no point. There's really because Christianity just becomes what? I mean, whatever you want it to be, right? But the Bible says in 2 Timothy 3:16, all scripture, 
all, that goes from Genesis to Revelation, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Now, I understand that the time Paul writes this, its primary uh, application would be and focus would be on the Old Testament scriptures, but we believe all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. It is inspired by God. It is God-breathed. Therefore, it is authoritative. Therefore, it is true. Therefore, it is is inerrant. It is infallible. It is the word of God. Therefore, it is the authority. Now, I would be a fool to say there aren't countless questions and issues that can be raised in regards to this idea of the Bible being the inspired, infallible word of God, and that the the canon is closed and there is no more revelation. I understand there are... we could do we could just do an entire podcast that's just every day dealing with issues related to the formation of the canon, the idea of the inerrancy of scripture, textual criticism, textual variance. I mean, we could just go on and on and on and on and on. And, and you can never truly ultimately answer all the questions. I would be a fool to think that. I would be an absolute fool to think that. That's why I think that. I've talked about it before that we um, that I took the teenagers of our church to a debate between Bart Ehrman and Dr. Wallace of Dallas Theological Seminary. And on our way there, I kept playing, well, lectures and debates by Dr. uh, by Bart Ehrman. And I kept telling everyone, Bart Ehrman's going to win the debate. Bart Ehrman's going to win the debate. He's going to win the debate. Dr. Wallace is going to lose the debate because once again, a Christian is getting into a debate that cannot be won because if you get into a debate and say, the Bible is the inerrant word of God without error, like it's just perfect, then all they have to do is say, well, wait a minute, what about textual variants? What about, there's all these textual variants. How do you know? And and you, in other words, it's very easy to lose that debate because we set up ourselves in a way that that the the skeptic, the critic, is going to be able to win because I, well, I'm going to say this, and I know a lot of people don't like it. Ultimately, what we say about the Bible to, to now, I believe there's a lot we can demonstrate. I think we can demonstrate because of all the different manuscripts that there's a certain level of certainty that we have pretty much something close to the original. There's a lot of things we can determine, right? And I, I continue want people, you know, digging and looking for manuscripts and comparing manuscript to manuscript. I still want the, the, the study of textual criticism to continue to go on. And I, and I still want all of that to occur. But I have, but this is very important. Ultimately, as a Christian, it becomes a matter of faith that I have to believe and trust that the Bible is the inerrant word of God and that what we have today is trustworthy and close to that. I believe I can get to a certain level there, but I, I can't deny all of the issues that come into play with things like well, all the textual variants. Hey, this manuscript says this, this manuscript says this, this manuscript says that's going to raise questions. And if you frame the debate in the wrong way, all the other person has to do is go, hey, how many textual variants are there where there's this many textual variants? Okay, well then how do you know that which is the correct reading? All you got to do is just raise enough of those kinds of questions. You can lose the debate. And I believe Bart Ehrman just did that, raised enough questions where Dr. Wallace was not able to actually win the debate. If you're just being, look, if you're just being honest about a debate, how you would actually judge a debate. Christians always have a tendency to, to go into these debates, making these claims that you're like, come on. Now, honestly, we cannot dogmatically prove that we can get people close, but being close doesn't win the debate. If you make the claim that the Bible is perfect and errant, it's the word of God. There's a level uh, that's a statement of faith that can all, you can get, I think you can get someone close and then to that, and then by faith, they have to accept the rest of the way. By faith, I believe that what I have here is the inerrant word of God, that it is trustworthy and that is true. Obviously, I believe the original manuscripts were inspired and that what I have today is a trustworthy translation of that. And I have to at least acknowledge that because guess what? When I open up my Bible, I'm going to find, even if you have the King James, guess what you're going to find? You're going to find many words in italics. 
what does that mean? Well, that means they were added to that for, and they were there, and they were to clarify the text or have it, you know, read in a smooth way. You're going to notice if you read some some Bibles that they're going to be like this passage is not in some manuscripts. For example, the woman caught in adultery. We know that many by many. People don't believe that belongs in the Bible. We, we have to understand there are questions about some of it. There are textual variants where you're like, well, which is the correct reading? These are issues that we have to understand. So we believe that the original manuscripts were infallible, perfect. We don't have the original manuscripts. Everyone has to acknowledge these issues. It can make Christians uncomfortable, but we can't allow being uncomfortable to make us afraid, right? We have to just face these things head on. So if someone is extremely skeptical and extremely critical, I understand that. And, I, and there's very little I can do. I can, I, can, I can try to point you to different things and different sources, different resources. But for every resource out there trying to make one argument, you can find 10 books arguing against what they claim. And it's a never-ending debate. And you can end up on a hamster wheel running in circles for six years and you never get anywhere. So I believe that there's enough manuscript evidence, and I, I believe that multiple times our biblical archaeology has d- a proven or supported something the Bible claims, not saying everything. There's still lots of things that are not proven by biblical archaeology, but I think we can get close to say, I think the Bible is trustworthy. I think it's trustworthy. I think I can trust what it says. Now, that's not all the way to believing that it's inspired and infallible, but I think that step has to be taken by Faith. I think that there's a level of faith that we just have to acknowledge that. I know I, because if it was so simple to just say, oh, we can 1000% prove, no, the original manuscripts are gone. We've got copies of copies of copies of copies of copies of copies. Now we have lots of copies. We have lots of manuscripts. So we can compare and compare and compare and compare. And then in textual criticism, you're like, okay, we've got all of these, we've got all of these manuscripts and we have variants. Now, we have to go through the process of textual criticism to say what is probably the most correct and accurate reading that would have reflected the original. Now, there's a lot, there, a lot of that sometimes has to be just referred to, have to be based off research and, and uh, the whole process of textual criticism. Now, people don't like to hear that. People don't like to hear that. Like A lot of people in the church like to imagine that someone was just walking along, right? They were walking along one day. And all of a sudden, the heavens opened and someone like, what was that? What was that? The Bible just dropped from heaven, already leather bound with, with a table of contents. And you're like, there it is. There, there, and, and hey, there's the completed can. It w- did not work that way. I'm sorry, it did not. I wish it would have, but it didn't. And the, and the process of the formation, even the formation of the canon is ugly and messy, right? You're like, well, some thought these books belong. Some people thought these books didn't belong. And, then, and back and forth, well, at some point you have to say, we believe this is the canon and we have to accept it by faith. Because it's not like you open the Bible and you're like, here's the list of books. You, you don't have that. Now, you can look at Jesus making references to the writings of Moses, to the Psalms. So you, we, can, we, can, we can come pretty close to trying to get a, a basic breakdown of the Old Testament canon. But the New Testament, I mean, there's no, no list at all. I mean, you, 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 there's a lot of guessing and speculation. And we have to be willing to acknowledge that. We have to be willing to acknowledge that. And you, you don't have, I mean, when, when do you even have a closed canon, Right. You have to get to the festal letter, the letter of uh, Athanasius. I don't have the date in front of me. Uh, we've talked about it in our studies of church history over and over. And a lot of that just makes people uncomfortable. I, I don't, I understand that. I understand that. My thing is, is I, I'm willing to understand there's lots of questions that in some cases cannot be answered very well. There's lots of issues. But at some point, it's either... I'm going to, by faith, believe that this is the word of God, and I'm going to trust this, and I'm going to believe that what I have here is an accurate translation of the original, that it's trustworthy, and I'm going to study it. I'm going to dedicate my life to studying it, preaching it, and trying to correctly interpret it. If I, the minute I lose that, well, then Christianity, well, then I don't have a source of authority other than me. And when I become the source of authority, 
well, then that, <laughs> that leads to some major, major problems, okay? So I believe the Bible is the authority, and I believe it's the inspired word of God. All scripture is given by inspiration, and it is profitable for doctrine, for proof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished unto every good work. I believe that the Bible is the word of God. That, that's what I believe. That's it. We, 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 you can look at the, the London Baptist Confession of Faith, 1689. That would be our, our doctrinal statement uh, that we use uh, for our church. That's our primary one. Uh, I would also point you to, just so that you may want to do a little bit of extra research on this, the Chicago Statement on Biblical Inerrancy, written in 1978. The Chicago Statement on Biblical Inerrancy, which I would, be, would at some point we'll do a study of that a document um, at the church or here on the podcast. Uh, but the Chicago Statement on Biblical Inerrancy, I would go with that as, as being somewhat leading in the direction that I would go. Now, I understand there's questions, and I don't always have the best answers, but I'm willing to acknowledge the problem. I'm not, I'm not put it this way, I'm not ignoring the problems. I, I know, and they make me uncomfortable, and I struggle with them. But it's either throw out the Bible, therefore throw out Christianity, and then I'm left with what? Put it this way. If I throw all of that out, I'm still left with a thousand questions. Then how do I know what's right? And how do I know what's wrong? Where does morality derive from? Is morality simply a social construct construct that we create? And so therefore, if we decide that this is right, then no longer, then, then right can be right, wrong can be wrong, and it can change indefinitely. And, and there's no true meaning in life and no true purpose in life. There, there's counts, countless questions I would have there as well. In other words, whatever position one holds on basically any issue, there's always difficult questions. And sometimes I think at, at some point, no matter what system of thought anyone holds to, there's a level of faith in it. I mean, because there's only certainty can only get you so far. I mean, that's just the way it works. Certainty can only get you so far. And in every element, you have to then take the rest by faith. You have to take it by faith. Like if you're an atheist, you can't 100% prove there's no God. There's no way to prove that. You haven't been everywhere. And there's just no way to prove that. So you you have to take by faith there isn't a God. If you're going to be a very, uh, you know, a, a confessing and affirming that there is no God, you're declaring that as a declarative statement. There's a level of faith you have to take. That There's a level of faith that we have to believe that on, I don't know, on a Tuesday at 1 p.m., uh, the, all the matter of the universe condensed to one point of singularity just exploded. And here we have everything and it just all happened naturally with no purpose and no design. There's a little bit of faith you have to take in that as well. In other words, wherever you go, there, there's, there, you can do research, you can do study, and it gets you to a certain level. And then there's an element of faith that comes into play. And I'm willing to acknowledge that when it comes to the Bible, there's a certain level of faith that has to come into play because there's lots of questions that raises some serious issues, and I'm willing to accept that. Now, why have I just spent 18 minutes talking about all of that? Because when did I get the first email? The first email I received was on June the 3rd at 9.11 p.m. So in less than 24 hours, I'm trying to respond to it. I've already responded to the email the email with my own, uh, okay, I don't have to hear that. Do you hear that? Yeah, there's some beeping going on outside. I think it's a truck backing up. Okay, yeah. Hey, guys, we're trying to do a live broadcast here. Okay, see how irritating that is? All right, but on June the 3rd, 9.11 p.m., I received the following email, and I am glad that uh, I'm able to respond in less than 24 hours because I try, we try, I try to make that a rule that if you email me, I'm going to do my best to get back to you. Going to do my best. Uh, now, I always have a lot. Sometimes I have a, far more emails than I can get to. I currently have 82,064 82, emails in my inbox. Now, some of those are older, but I get a lot of emails from a lot of different sources. So I do my very best to try to respond. If I don't ever respond to you, just email me back. All right, but here we go. Um, and because I've always wanted it to be that I'm not hiding behind a microphone. I don't want to do that thing that some podcasters do. Like, hey, you, if you want to contact us, you give us five dollars a month, on our, and 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 then you can you can contact us. I don't. I, I try not to do any of that. So here we go. Now, the the title here is Theology Central Podcast Chosen 2021. Now, I I don't know. I don't know if that is making a reference to our my podcast episodes on The Chosen. 
Now, it may be that that's what this is referring to. That's how I am interpreting it. I, I just, I just want to make sure I could be wrong. Now, if that's the case, remember, one of my criticisms of The Chosen is here's a TV show, a, a, a streaming TV show, that for dramatic purpose and dramatic reason, they add dialogue and words that are supposed to be from Jesus or others that are not in the Bible. It's not there. They're adding to the word of God. And I've criticized that. Right. And I think rightly so, because if I want to watch the story of Jesus and I want to know what happens, I have to have an authoritative source. It's great that they can add dramatic dialogue for whatever purpose they want, but that's for entertainment. I, if I want the story of Jesus, I'm going to pick up the Bible, which I believe is the authoritative source. Right. Is the authoritative source. And I believe that I am not to add or take away from the word of God. And the reason I say that ultimately is because it's God's word. It's not mine, right? If you wrote me a letter and then I just decided, you know what? Well, like if I took this email, you know what? You sent me an email. I'll just add all kinds of words to it. Boom, 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 boom. Add all kinds of words to it, right? Add, subtract, turn it into what I want. Then I turn on the microphone and say, I just received an email uh, from someone on June the 3rd at 9-11 p.m. His name is, I'm not going to give the name, his name is this, and this is what he said, and it did not even come close to resembling what was accurately said. I'm assuming the original emailer would be like, how dare you do that? That's not what I said. You misrepresented what I said. Why would you do that? Well, of course you would be bothered, and I believe that if God has given us his word, he would be bothered that for dramatic reasons, I just, hey, I'm going to make a TV show. I'm just going to add whatever I want to it. I'm going to add whatever. No, it's it's the Bible. I've got to stick with it because it's God's word. So I don't think we should be adding or subtracting. I think that that's just a general theological principle. Now, this is how they respond, or this is what they said. I'm learning a lot listening to your sermons on the Bible. All right, that's that's awesome. Okay, I'm glad. I hope so. I just have to question what you think about Revel what you think about in Revelation 22 on how these words shall not be taken away. I noticed in one of your sermons that you use this verse for meaning do not take any part of the Bible. My interpretation is Revelation 22 talks about revelation only. What do you think about my interpretation? Well, I love the question. Now, I don't know. Now, th this is always the difficulty when, when responding to emails. This is always the difficulty. When you get an email, you, you, you have to come to some level of interpretation. What I mean by that is this. Okay, are they just asking a general question? Like, hey, I'm just curious about this. Okay, thanks. Or is this, is the first question really a setup for where they really want to go. Like, like, do I, do I enter, do I enter the email discussion? Like, uh Oh, okay. So I wonder what they're trying to do. Like, am I got, do I got to think three steps ahead of them because this is a setup or is it just a general question? Like some, because I sometimes get emails and I'll answer the question just kind of like, I oh, know here, here it is. And I'm like, boom, I got you. And you're like, Whoa, what just happened? Wait, 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 wait. I didn't know. I didn't know you were trying to get me. I thought you were just asking me a question. I didn't know this was like the Pharisees, you know, and the Sadducees trying to trap Jesus. But sometimes people will do that. And that, oh, I hate when I get those emails because I sometimes will just walk right into it because I'm not thinking three steps ahead. I'm like, oh, there's an email. Okay, here you go. Boom. And they're like, boom, 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 You're wrong. And I'm like, whoa, what did I just do? And I'm like, oh, that was a setup. I didn't see the setup coming. I'm not seeing this, what this person is doing because I see this. I'm like, oh, okay. They just have a question about my interpretation of Revelation. Now, the, the passage in question here is Revelation chapter 22, verses 18 and 19. Revelation 22, 18 through 19, where we see these words. Revelation 22, 18 through 19. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of the prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. Now, I've got to make, I just, I do have to make sure we are clarified here. According to the email, they said, 
Um, I just have to question what you think about in Revelation 22 and how these words shall not be taken away. I noticed in one of your sermons that you use this verse for meaning to not take away. Now, I don't know which sermon they're referring to, okay? I don't know. I produce a lot of content, all right? So I, I did I quote, literally quote Revelation 22 verbatim and say, this is what it means? Or did I say something like this? You are not to add or take away from the word of God. Now, if I say you're not to add or take away from the word of God, that is not a quotation of Revelation 22. That is me taking a concept that I think is talked about in Revelation 22 and applying it to a larger idea because the concept of not adding or taking away from God's word is not just found in Revelation 22. It is found also in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 2, where we read, You shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall you diminish aught from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. All right. So we know that this concept shows up more than just in Revelation. It shows up in Deuteronomy. So I could just have well been referring to Deuteronomy as I did Revelation, unless I quoted directly from Revelation. I don't know which sermon they're referring to. I may have. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I have no context here. But here is my basic idea, is I believe that, yes, the Revelation 22 passage should first and foremost be interpreted as referring to the book of Revelation. I, I think that's absolutely true. I think Deuteronomy should first and foremost be referring to specifically, the, the uh, as it says, uh, the, the law that God had given them. There's a specific uh, connection or a specific application to it. That is good biblical hermeneutics. I even applauded the person for doing that. That is a good job. And if I failed to do that in my sermon, I was 100% wrong and I apologize. And there's no excuse for it. What I tend to do is say, here's the concept. It's there in the Old Testament. It's there in the New. Now, how do I think about this? Well, I believe the Bible is, well, the inspired word of God. It's the inspired word of God. That's what it claims to be. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. God breathed, right? As, as you know, we, that the Bible is, the, I could quote other scriptures, but that it's the inspired word of God. Now, if it's the inspired word of God, meaning it's God's word that he breathed out, this is what he wanted, right? He wanted these words here. Well, then who am I to add or take away from them? How can I just arbitrarily say, I'm going to add or take away. The minute you allow for that, well, then I can just be like, well, you know, the Bible condemns drunkenness. Eh, I don't, I don't believe that. I'll get drunk. The Bible condemns adultery. Well, you know, I don't believe that. I, you, it just becomes, what's even the point of having the Bible if I can just add or take away anytime I want? The fact that it's God's word would then tell me the concept, as mentioned in Deuteronomy and Revelation 22, would be applicable to the entire Bible because it's not my words. I can't take, I should not take anyone's words and then add and take away whatever I want and then make it say something that the original person did not say, right? I mean, I can I just take that email and say, so-and-so sent me an email and in this email, he confessed to these horrible acts. Well, he didn't say that. He didn't even come anywhere close to saying anything like that. It would be wrong for me to add and subtract and make it say something it never said. That would be wrong. That would be incorrect. That would be just, that would be unethical even from a human perspective. That would be even from a human perspective, right? I mean, we we have been criticizing the Jesus Calling devotional. It would be wrong for me to say, hey, I read the Jesus Calling devotional and the Jesus Calling devotional, she calls for the sacrifice of babies at the age of two. Well, that would be horrible. I'd be adding something she never said. Or at least I don't think, I'm pretty sure if that was in the book, we would know. I haven't read the entire book, so I can't even say that's not there because that would not be fair. But uh, clearly, I don't believe it's there. But the point was, if it's not in the book and I say that, that would be wrong. So what have we done? We've actually taken the book and read the introduction and we're reading individual devotions word for word so that we are not being accused of adding or subtracting from God's word. When I do a sermon review, I don't even grab a clip of it 
and then say, this is what this pastor was saying. We review the entire sermon so all of their words can be heard, so we're not adding or subtracting from it. I think it's just, that's just common decency. That's just how you would treat anything. It's not my word. It's God's word. And if it's God's word, how dare me, a fallible human, come along and mess with it? That's my principle. That... That's that, that's all I put for I, I I at that point when I answered the question and and I and I responded in a pretty similar fashion obviously I was not thinking about well wait a minute what about textual variance wait a minute what do we do with things that seem to be added to the text by scribes wait 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 I I that that's contradicting my perspective my original answer was not to get into all of the textual issues pertaining to the creation of the Bible or the New Testament mainly the creation of translations. I, I, I wasn't trying to get into all of that, but after I responded to the email, well, I got some other, I got uh, some responses. And one of the responses mentions a word. Let's see if you're, are you familiar with this word? See if you're familiar with it. Interpolation. Interpolation. See if I can play it again. Interpolation. 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 Are you familiar with that word? Not interpretation, interpolation. Sometimes people confuse interpretation and interpolation. They're different things. Interpolation is this. Interpolation is the insertion of something of a different nature into something else. Interpolation is the insertion of something of a different nature into something else. So if there's an interpolation in the Bible, that means someone inserted something that would be adding to it. Well, wait a minute. You've already said you should not do that. So how did interpolations occur and how should we understand those interpolations? And does this, well, change everything? Well, let me make it very clear. Even if interpolations occurred, we have to ask ourselves why they occurred and say, does that then mean, well, hey, you can just make a show about Jesus and make him say whatever he wants. Hey, you can just subtract and take away from God's word anytime you want. The minute you do that, it's spiritual anarchy. Just throw out the Bible and just move on. And some people may want to do that, and I understand. But interpolations is, well, the issue. And here's how it showed up. So I responded to the email. And then let's see here. Where do I start getting all of these emails? Uh, And I think where, where were they emailing from? I'm getting like duplicates and duplicates and duplicates. So then they responded. Let's see here. Okay, uh, where did I see here? Where do I get here? Uh, Thank you. Now, what about the scribes and interpolations? Now, and then they put uh, LOL. They put LOL. Okay, so now I don't know, again, trying to interpret an email. Is that LOL like, hey, man, you're an idiot. You don't even know what you're talking about. You're so stupid. You don't even know about scribes and interpolations. You don't even know about that. You you don't even have a clue. I I don't think that that's how (laughs) – I don't think that's how it's uh, being spoken, but you're – I I can't – I mean, I I, I don't know. I don't know how to interpret that, but – what about scribes and interpolations? Well, that, that, that's a great question. It's a great question. So we're going to do a little bit of work on the scribes and interpolations. Now, again, an interpolation is the insertion of something of a different nature into something else. So what do we know about interpolations? Well, a couple of things. First of all, just make sure we know that interpolation and interpretation are often confused Sometimes, I, some people almost try to use them in an interchangeable way, but that would be wrong. They are not the same thing. They're two separate words with two very separate meanings, all right? Now, let's focus on interpolation, all right? I'm going re- to refer to an article here on interpolation that came from medium.com. I don't remember who originally wrote the auth- uh, article. These are in, in some different notes, but I'll, we'll just work a little bit through this. So interpolation, all right? Interpolation specifically refers to inserting words into the Bible text that aren't really there. This has been done in both the Old Testament and New Testament, and it's been done for a long time. For example, in 1611, the King James Version of the Bible was published, and it contains several interpolations. Take a look at Genesis 1 through Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. 
and you'll see that there are 10 instances where the translators inserted words in order to make the meaning more clear. The King James translators showed interpolated words by printing them in italics. In Genesis 1 through 12, Genesis chapter 1 verses 1 through 12, uh, there are five different interpolated words. And it was where and land. And they're in italics. Now, let's just stop right here. Because we've, we, we, we don't want to make a logical fallacy of, of comparing things that are completely different and sometimes trying to draw some weird conclusion. If you're referring to my con- condemnation of the chosen, because they're just adding words for the sake of making a d- dramatized television version of the Bible, uh, you cannot compare that to a scribe or a translator going, man, we've got to try to move this from Greek to English. This is all weird and broken. We're going to have to we're going to have to use interpolation. We're going to add some words here to try to make the text make sense, to make it flow. That's true in any kind of interpretation. Okay, have you ever, I don't know if you watch uh, like UFC or boxing, but they'll interview a fighter from another country, right? And so it'll, he'll, he'll say something, right? Sometimes it may be a, a very short statement, you know, he'll say it in Spanish or whatever. And then the interpreter will be like, whoa, that went much longer than what he said, right? Or sometimes the other one will use a lot of words and then they use less words because you're you're trying to bring the idea from one language to another and sometimes there's not a, a direct translation from one language to another so you've got to use a different word or you got to use something in order to make the translation work that is completely different than just arbitrarily us adding and subtracting words for a TV show this is someone going okay we've got we've got this manuscript here and we're going to we're going to copy it or we're going to bring it over and especially you're bringing it into a different language interpolation interpolation is going to occur because you're going to have to add some words to try to make it make some sense and you may add things like well what did we just mention you're going to add words like and it was where you're going to add things like that to try to clean it up but here's the thing with the king james they place it in italics so that you know. You know, that's in italics. Okay, that tells me that's that that was added by the translator. So I can immediately go, okay, I've got to be very careful not to draw a major doctrinal conclusion based off an itali- a word in italics that was added by the translator. Why was the word added by the translator? Because trying to move it from Greek over to English That was the only way to smooth it out. That was the only way for it to make any sense. You can't draw. I mean, this is the part of the translation process. There's a passage in the New Testament that's a bit controversial. Some call call it an uh, interpolation. Some say that it's a legitimate part of the Bible. Take a look at the Gospel of John, chapter 7 and 8. So some call it an interpolation. Some believe it's an interpolation. Some believe it's a legitimate part of the Bible. Sometimes there's disagreements. Some of the, that's an interpolation. They've added that. And some people are like, no, 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 no. They did not add that. Look, we've got manuscript evidence to support its, its presence. And that's a whole part of textual criticism. You just have to acknowledge it. And look, not, interpolation is not some like hidden secret. Like, hey, hey, don't let anybody know this. It's in commentaries, it's in study Bibles, it's everywhere. It's taught in all the schools that I've gone to, seminary, Bible college. We we talked about interpolations. I mean, it's not like, ooh, ooh, see, you can't tell people they can't add or take away from God's word. No, we're talking about people. I want you to understand this. Me sitting here in 2022 reading the Bible going, I'm going to add or change it. It's very different than someone who are holding biblical manuscripts, (laughs) right? They've got the biblical manuscript in their hand and they're like, okay, we've got to try to translate this. That, that's a completely radically different thing. You're comparing apples and oranges. We're not, you're not even comparing apples and oranges. You're comparing apples and, uh, and rocks. Okay. They're completely different things. Here's someone with a, a tra- the manuscript itself going, okay, we're going to translate this interpolation is going to occur in that translation. It's going to happen. Now, the key is, 
how much do they add? That could be a problem. Now, the key is the original, the inspired original manuscripts, that's not interpolations. That's inspiration. That's God's word. And so now the goal of translators is to try to get back, to try to stay as close to the original as possible, even though we don't have the original. And you do that by comparing all of the manuscripts and trying to come up what you think is the most accurate reading and translating that in the most accurate way possible. All right. So when you get to the New Testament, and this is one is really, and this was talked about in the Bart Ehrman, Dr. Wallace debate at Dallas Theological Seminary that I took the teenagers of my church to. It says this, take a look at the Gospel of John, chapter 7 and 8. Your Bible may have some sort of annotation similar to this. The earliest manuscripts do not have John 7, 53 through chapter 8, 11. See, so even many Bibles will tell you, okay, we're not so sure about this, right? That's very different than creating a show, just throwing it out there. That's, that's, and, I, and I don't know if the original emailer is making a reference because I was critical of The Chosen, but I just know I get so many emails of people ticked off that I dare criticize the TV show. But th- that's not the same thing. It's not the same thing as me in 2022 going, you know, I think Jesus said, you know, if someone smacks you on the right on the right side of your face, kill them. That's what I think Jesus said. If you smack me there, I kill you. Jesus said that. Okay, he didn't say that. Okay, that would be beyond an interpolation. That would be radical, just wrong. That's the interpolation is being used in, to try to smooth out a translation. All right, and you can just grab a King James and see it. Right. For example, I'll just read Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. Was is the interpolation. Or it would read, and darkness upon the face of the deep. The what? But they put it in italics so you know. That's one of the wonderful things I love about the King James. They show you, hey, that's an interpolation. We added that. All right. Why? Is, is, that, is it some scandal? No, they're adding to to smooth out a translation, to smooth out a translation. They're not adding entire dialogue. They're adding a word for translation purposes. Now, yes, I understand that you can say, well, wait a minute, that's adding. I understand that, but it's adding, it's, 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 it's adding in a way because you're trying to translate the original manuscript or the manuscripts the King James uh, translators were using. They obviously didn't have the original manuscripts, but we don't have the original manuscripts. Nothing was added to the original manuscripts, and I don't want to add anything that would then possibly cause confusion on trying to understand what the original manuscripts were actually saying. Adding was there <laughs> is not, is, it's even identified as, hey, this is not in the original. So you can, I can skip that. And darkness upon the face of the deep. The next one is in Genesis 1-3. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light that it was good. So I could read it. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light that good. And God divided the light from darkness. I can, I can remove it was because that's an, interp- an, interpolate, an interpolation. If I can say the word correctly. Right? Or an interpolated word or interpolated phrase. Now, in John, you have this section about, well, it's the woman caught in adultery. This is the story of the woman who was caught in adultery, and Jesus saved her from execution. Is this passage an interpolation, or did some scribes leave the passage out because they didn't like it? We'll never know. We don't know. Um, so there, there's, 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 a lot of, uh, it, there's, there's a lot of discussion here. Now, it, the story doesn't necessarily contradict anything in the Bible, but we, there's a lot of speculation there. So you know what you do? You say, hey, now I've got articles where they argue for the textual evidence for that verse being included. Most, even Dr. Wallace in his debate with Bart Ehrman acknowledged probably it's, it's, it's a great story, but it doesn't belong in the Bible, which really kind of just helped him lose the debate because now he's like, wait a minute, that you said the Bible is without error. Okay, well, now you just acknowledge this probably shouldn't be there. There's a lot of discussion it shouldn't be there. Now, if it doesn't belong there, it doesn't belong there. So you know what? I'm when I if I preach that story, I'm going to let everyone know we don't know if this actually belongs here. So do I derive a lot of major doctrine from that? I got to be extremely careful. I hope I hope they'll continue to search for manuscripts, and maybe we'll come across some evidence going there. It is 
Maybe they're going to find some ancient copy of John and go, there it is. We have proof that it showed up as early as this. And maybe then, uh, because so many times they'll be like, no evidence, no, and then boom, they find a manuscript going, okay, never mind. So you always got to wait and let sometimes time play itself out, all right? Um, okay. Um, okay, I'm going to skip here. Now, when you take interpolation, you take textual variance. Now, make sure if you if you don't, we're not going to get into a lengthy discussion here. If you're going to get into textual variance, make sure you understand this is, creates problems. And here's what happens. You have manuscript one that has a certain reading. You have manuscript two that has a different, slightly different reading. And then you have to determine, textual critics have to determine which which variant is the most accurate one? And they go through a process of elimination and trying to figure that out. That's called textual criticism. And we should support textual criticism, people trying to figure it out, trying to understand it. Again, many study Bibles and commentaries acknowledges a variant. If a variant is significant, sometimes the variant is just word order. Sometimes it's like, well, it, these interpolations show up, right? There's a was or some or uh, it was, and then the other one doesn't have it. Well, you can go, okay, well, clearly this is added to try to smooth out the translation. Then you can kind of see that. Or a word is clearly sometimes in when they were copying, remember, they, they, these were handwriting, handwritten copies. Well, clearly when they were copying, you can see, oh, they misspelled a word. Uh, they, they left that word clearly out. That word's just clearly left out of this manuscript, but it's right here in this manuscript. Okay, you can see that just, they just skipped a word. You, you, if you've ever tried to copy something down, you can tell that you have done that. But whenever you start talking about textual variants, interpolations, when you start talking about these things, it raises lots of questions about inerrancy of Scripture. All right? When we say er- inerrancy, that means the Bible contains no errors. It is the perfect revelation of the Word of God. And typically, we quote 2 Timothy 3.16 as proof of this. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. It's God-breathed. That's what we use to say. Now, when we say that it is perfect and inerrant, we first and foremost mean the original manuscripts, the original documents, where there is no interpolation. It's the word of God. It is settled. It's there. Now, the copies from that we believe are trustworthy, and we believe that, yes, interpolations are used, yes, textual variants appear, and yes, the textual critic has to spend their life comparing manuscript to manuscript to manuscript to try to give us the most trustworthy and accurate rendering of it. And study notes and other things can let the reader know, hey, 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 or using italics as the King James does. That's why I love the King James. Hey, that, that, that's an italics. And I will point that out in sermons sometimes. I'm like, hey, does everyone notice that right there? That's an italics. What does that mean? Possibly not in the original. Clearly not in the manuscripts used by the King James. This is an interpolation. It's, it's been added. Now, again, that's not the same thing as just a random adding. This is adding in order to try to translate. This is to add in order trying to, to get the idea across. It has to be identified, though. That's an addition. That's an addition. And then we then have to see how we process that. But the article I have here raises lots of questions. And I just want to be honest that these are questions we all come up with, right? And that everyone should struggle with. Here here is, what is scripture? If all scripture is inspired by God, what ancient writings are qualified to be scripture? This gets to an issue of the canon. How was the canon formed? Why were some books included and some books rejected? Well, at some point you either just are left with nothing, or you just have to take it by faith that what we have today is the completed canon. And you have to a little bit rely on the early church and what it did. Um, Number two, are the scriptures only free of error and the original manuscripts written by its author? I think you can, I think you have to first and foremost say the original were the, the ones that were inspired and that what we have today is trustworthy translations and that we that we have enough manuscripts to give us a, a certain level of certainty that yes this is the word of god and i can trust it i can trust it 
All right. But we can acknowledge that it's a translation. I know that I'm not carrying around a photocopy of the original manuscripts. Anyone who believes that is, is, is lying to themselves. I know I've, I've got a translation. And you know what I want them to keep doing? I want them to keep searching every corner of the earth for the oldest manuscripts they can find. If it's in some monastery, if it's buried in some cave, and I want them to pull them out going, hey, we just discovered a, an ancient copy of the Gospel of John, and it's radically different than what we've got. And you know what? I'm willing to, for that controversy to occur, and we try to figure it out. Because the goal is to try to get as close to the original as we possibly can. Number three, there are many ancient handwritten copies of Scripture, and they aren't identical. Are all of them free of error? Right, they're not identical. Textual variants. Now, again, just because they're not identical doesn't always mean it's... <gasps> Oh my goodness, because it's been stated that there are more textual variants than there are actual verses in the Bible. We can, it's okay to acknowledge that. People go, how dare you say that? I think Dr. Wallace acknowledged that even in his debate, right? Now, what do I do with that? Well, I hope and, 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 what I, and by faith, I take that those variants, in most cases, and it most even acknowledge this, most of the variants have almost no great influence impact on the text. It's di different word order, different spelling. It's just little things like that. It's not, it's like you can look at the two and go, okay, I know what this is saying. All right. But we can acknowledge the variance on those places where there is significant question and problem. We need to have that clearly marked and identified in good Bibles. We need to know, hey, there's a variant here. We need to know that in good study notes and good commentaries. But we, we shouldn't run from it and hide from it. Uh, are the in interpolated passages inerrant? Um, what if we're not sure if a passage is original or an interpolation? Uh, if, if, if we don't know if it's an interpolation, if we don't know, well, then we can't say that it is. If it is an interpolation, we need to go, well, hmm, that was added. Now we look and go, why was it added? Again, the, the examples in Genesis, you can see why it was added. I mean, it was... They're, they're adding little words there to help the, it smooth out the translation. Now, if you see something in italics and you're like, whoa, wait a minute, that, and that, again, that's one of the reasons I like the King James, because like I, I have a, a different translation right here. And guess what? Um, they don't have anything in italics telling me it's an interpolation. I don't like that. I wish every Bible would tell me this is an interpolation. This was added by the translators so that we can see that, all right? Um, and do we know original versus interpolation? That's what textual critics do. That's what they try to figure out. Well, wait a minute. I think a scribe added this, and I don't know why. We got this manuscript that has a different re reading. Now, again, in most cases, it's nothing significant. There are some passages where it becomes significant. Like, like the whole John, the woman caught in adultery. So what do I do with that? I, I'm willing to go. I don't know. I don't know what's going on there. I don't know if it's added. I'm willing, I'm willing to have more study and then we'll draw a conclusion there. Um, are translations also inerrant? All translations, only some translations. Which translations? How do we differ differentiate an, an errant and error-free translation from a corrupt translation? Well, all translations are translations. They are not the original. So there's going to be interpolation. There's going to be the, they, they went with a certain reading of a variant in most cases, like here's variant one. They went with a different variant. We understand that. And we, we got that. That's where a little bit of faith, this is where you, the by all of the manuscripts study. And I'm glad that they're doing all the manuscript study. I am so glad they're digitizing many of the ancient biblical manuscripts. I think Dallas Theological Seminary was involved in the process where they're digitizing so that you can literally, if you can read Greek, you can literally look at some of the early New Testament manuscripts. That is awesome. I, I, I want it to be as transparent as possible. And then we can see. So there, I, I can get up to a certain level of, of, of certainty. Oh, no, I take that back. I can get into a certain level. I don't even like to use the word certainty. I can get into a certain level of being able to say, mm, okay, I think it's relatively trustworthy. Then I, by faith, have to say, I believe that, that, that the translation I have 
is accurate and true and reflects what the, the original said. There's a level of faith. There's an a- aspect of faith that's going to have to come into play. And, and, but on every issue under the sun, there's a level of faith someone is going to have to take. If two Bible scholars agree that a translated passage is a correct translation of the original, but two scholars interpret the passage in different ways, which interpretation is error-free? Well, no interpretation is error-free. So I, this article, I don't like the fact they say that. I would say if, if, Bible, if two Bible scholars agree that a translated passage is a correct translation of the original and two others think it's an incorrect translation, you know what I want to know? I want to know both arguments. And I'll be willing to say, there's much disagreement here. And if there's much disagreement, that usually, pro- that usually prevents us from being extremely dogmatic. In most cases, that information is readily available. If the Bible is inerrant, why do Bible scholars disagree about the interpretation? Well, again, that, 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 that's confusing inter- interpolation with interpretation. Uh, the Bible's inerrant. The reason people disagree about interpretation is because we don't agree on hermeneutical methods. There's a a disagreement on hermeneutical methods. Um, If it's perfect, what is there to disagree about? It's it's perfect. What is there to disagree about is we don't agree on which method of interpretation should be utilized. All right. Uh, There you go. And this was written by a man by the name of Bob Young who put together some of this information about interpolation. And I appreciate this. Uh, this was written in 2019. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it gives a lot of uh, a, a good information. And you can look up a lot more on interpolation. Just remember, interpolation, the basic word is, let me go back here, interpolation is the insertion of something of a different nature into something else. So something is added. But just remember, it's very different when you have a manuscript. They, they've got the manuscript. And they're like, we're going to do a translation. Oh, man. That's all broken and confused. Okay, we're going to add some ands and was and is and there. We're going to add some these basic words to smooth out the translation. Now, again, that's why I use the King James. I like to see the italics going, okay, that was added, that was added, that was added, that was added. So it's there. But that's, I don't, there's, that's a million miles away from just arbitrarily just adding and subtracting whatever you want. I am not to add or subtract. Now, if I'm a part of a translation committee, and I've got the Greek manuscripts there, and we're like, whoa, how do we bring this over to English? Or how do we bring this to Spanish? Or how do we bring this to, you know, whatever, Yiddish, whatever. I, ooh, we got some problems here. Like, oh boy, what do we do? Okay, you can't compare that to just arbitrarily adding and subtracting for a television show, for crying out loud, all right? We're talking about people trying to literally handle the manuscripts and translate them. Everyone has to acknowledge that is, that is in any form of translation, that is a never ending struggle. Okay. How do you say that? Okay. What did you say in Spanish? Okay. What, 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 what? Okay. Wait. And then they'll try to explain, well, okay. In Spanish, okay, you would say it this way and they almost have to add different words or a different way of saying it to capture the idea. Because in many cases, there's not a direct correlation from one language to another language. Interpolation has got, it has to occur. It has to occur for it to work in translation. Now, what I would tell you to do is this. I would tell you to read the Chicago, if I can find it here, I have it here, the Chicago Statement on Biblical Inerrancy. I think it's a good document to read, to have down. London Baptist Confession of Faith gives us kind of our doctrinal position. And look, I, I'm, I, I don't, this doesn't answer all the questions. I'm not even going to pretend that it answers all the questions. There's many issues I have. I, I struggle with the formation of the canon all the time. It raises issues about church authority, who has the authority. It raises all kinds of issues. I struggle. I struggle with the fact that there's so many textual variants. I, I, str- I struggle with the fact that nobody can agree on interpreting any passage, but that's an interpretive issue. That's an, an, an interpolation issue. That's not a translation issue. That's not an inerrancy issue. That's a human beings have a hard time interpreting things, even if we all agree on the actual words used in a text. But there, yeah, there's lots of questions. I'm willing to admit that. Every Christian has to be willing to admit that. 
It's not as easy. When I was a young Christian, I thought, oh, man, here's a, here's a book on apologetics. This answers everything. And then you realize, wait a minute, go read the books criticizing that book on apologetics. And you're like, mm, maybe those answers are not as solid as, as I thought they were. So now I realize, you know what? There's only, there's only to a certain level that I can get to with so many issues. And then the rest I have to take by faith. I just have to. Now, that doesn't mean blind faith. That means faith based on nothing. That means there's only, I can only get to a certain level. And I'm like, okay, from there, right? I'm going to take that next step by faith and believe that what I have here in an English translation is an accurate translation of the original manuscripts. And I believe because it's an accurate representation of those original manuscripts, then I'm going to treat it as it's the word of God, that it is the word of God. It is my authority. It is what I have to live by. I'm bound by this. And it's not for me to arbitrarily just go in and add and take away whatever I want for whatever reason, to make a TV show, to make my life better, or to make your life better. No. If a new manuscript comes forward going, hey, this seems to indicate this is an earlier manuscript and all of those older manuscripts are completely wrong and how it deals with whatever the case may be. And then I'll be like, oh, now we have to consider that. Now, I don't know if that's helpful. I don't know if that was going, is that, that, that's going to help the person who emailed me. Um, make sure I didn't get any more emails while I'm on the air. They may not even know I'm live on the air currently. Um, let's see here. Did, oh, I think I got another one. I got another one here. Uh, okay. I just keep getting all of these emails. That's really weird. Yeah. I don't know what's going on. Yeah. Because some of these emails are just repeats of what we've already said. I've got, cause I got another one at 1233 PM, one at 12.09 PM, one at 11.35 a.m., one at 10.55 a.m., another one at 10.55 a.m., another one at 10.54 a.m., another one at 10.50 a.m., another one at 10.47 a.m. Um, I mean, another, and so another one at 9.25 a.m. Okay, I, I don't, look, there's only so much I can answer, okay? There's only so much I can answer, but none of, some of these just seem to be repeats of previous ones. So if I'm missing something in your, in your um, messages, I, I, I'm doing my very best to try to, to answer your questions. Hopefully I have, but I, but I make sure I just have to, I'll end with this. Please, we're dealing with issues, interpolation, textual variance. We're dealing with issues that say in Bible college or seminary, I spent semester or a year studying. So there's no way in an hour that I can deal with every issue. Um, but I, I and no and put it this way, I can't even. I'm not even going to pretend that there are answers to. You could raise more questions than I could ever answer, because I believe that there, we can only get to a certain point, and then the rest we have to take by faith. I just, I, I know that sounds like a cop out, but I just think that that's just the way it's going to work. There are good questions raised that you can go, man. I don't know what to do with that. I don't know what to do with that, but I, I'm willing to acknowledge that. All right, I'm willing to acknowledge that. So, um. I would, again, the London Baptist Confession of Faith, chapter one, deals with the Holy Scriptures. You can read that. Um, and then the Chicago Statement on Biblical Inerrancy. That's what I would point you to. All right. Um, I'm going to have to take a break, and then I got to get a plan for the rest of the day because I'm way behind on sermon prep. But uh, I wanted to answer this now because I know I'm not going to be able to answer this. If I don't answer it today, it, I don't know when I'll get back to it. So um, I wanted to get it out of the way. I hope it was helpful. If it wasn't, I truly understand your frustration. Um, but I did the best I could. Um, if I if I did not answer it correctly, there are professors at major uh, seminaries all across the country who would have a greater grasp of textual variants, um, of inter- interpolations, um, and uh, translation issues, and errancy issues. Um, but I, I will do my best to, to seek out as much information as I can for you, but there I am limited in what I can do. That was by no means my area of expertise. Um, I, 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 my studies were always uh, theology, just basically theo- degrees in theology, um, religious education, biblical studies, church history, a little bit of that, 
um, philosophy, um, not so much textual criticism and uh, going more into the textual issues at hand. Those are big issues that um, there's only so many answers that can be given. And and for every answer, there's probably a counter argument against every single one of them. So there you go. I just want you to know that there's a clear distinction between just randomly adding and taking away and, and doing an interpolation where you're trying to smooth out a translation. Because in those interpolations in Genesis 1, none of them change the meaning of the text in any way, shape, or form. They don't, they don't in any way hurt the uh, understanding of that. No way, no how. And that's the attempt to take a manuscript and put it in a different language. It has a very clear purpose and reason why it is occurring, not for just random reasons. So there we go. All right, you can email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. And, uh, well, um, I, I, if you email me again today, I don't know if I'll be able to get back to it, but I'll do my very best to uh, respond at a later time. All right, thanks for listening. God bless.